Good morning, family. Happy Sunday to you and to uh, whoever you are watching this broadcast with. Uh, so pleased to be able to engage with you on this beautiful Sunday morning. I want to welcome you from wherever you are uh, streaming from, uh, all over South Africa, um, all over Africa. Uh, we know that um, some, some people are tuning in from all over the world. It's such a blessing to be able to come uh, into your homes with the Word of God. I have a, a question that I want to ask you, and I want you to think about this. Can a nation be born in a day? I want you to think about that. While you think about that, I want to tell you a little bit of a confession. I used to watch romantic comedies. Used to. I don't really watch those anymore. But when I, when I used to watch romantic comedies, uh, there was a particular plot line that I became aware of that um, most romantic comedies seem to have the same kind of progression in their plot. You have the guy who is the hero of the movie, and he's typically in love with a girl who is out of his league. Um, and he spends the vast majority of the movie pursuing this girl's attentions. He also has a friend, typically a lady friend, who is head over heels in love with him, but he doesn't notice her. All she is to him is a friend. Somewhere towards the end of the movie, as he has been pursuing this other girl and pouring out his heart to this friend of his, uh, he, he eventually manages to convince the girl that he's after to go out with him. And typically they would start a, a, a relationship and he soon realizes that they, they, they have a shallow connection and there's no real intimacy and he is disappointed in what he has found with her. And this draws him to his friend who was there all along. And he now falls in love with her and he realizes she was the one all along. Isn't that how every romantic comedy goes that you've ever watched? What does this have to do with our scripture today? Well, the question that I asked you is a question that God asked the nation of Israel. In the book of Isaiah chapter 66, it is the last chapter of Isaiah. So Isaiah has been prophesying over the nation of Israel for many, many years. And he's come towards the, the end of his uh, prophetic journey. And he's starting to paint a picture of the future and uh, of what a restored Israel looks like. And, and, and he, he's, he's painting a picture of, of the, 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 the rule and the reign of the Christ, the second coming. And he asks this question, can a nation be born in a day? As, I was, as I've been considering this scripture, I considered also the conundrum that Ezekiel found himself in when God took him into a valley of dry bones and asked him uh, an equally difficult question. Ezekiel was looking at a valley full of dry bones. And God asked him, Ezekiel, can these dry bones live? 
And Ezekiel's response is classic. Oh Lord, sovereign God, only you know such a thing. And, and sometimes when I would be considering this question, can a nation be born in a day? That utterance is what would come to mind. Sovereign God, only you know such a thing. But because you are God and because nothing is impossible with you, I am going to venture to say yes. So this is what I, I came to. Can a nation be born in a day? Well, because God is God and because he is who he says he is, then my answer is yes. But the truly enriching thing for me wasn't being able to answer this question. It was the journey of discovering the reason why. So if I, if I say yes, why do I say yes? Let's consider, as we go deeper, the story found in Joshua chapter 3. This is the story of the people of Israel gathered on one side of the Jordan, preparing to cross the Jordan into the land of promise. They had been wandering through the desert for, for some, somewhere around 40 years, living in some areas, relocating, moving around as God would lead them. And finally, the time had come for them to see the promise fulfilled. Imagine, if you will, that, that over, for, for, for the better part of 40 years, you've been told that there's a promise uh, that, that, that God has declared over you that you are to take a land, and it is a land of promise. It is the land of your ancestors. It is the land that God has prepared for you, and it is his way of providing for you. But you haven't been able to tap into this land. As you've been migrating in the desert, sometimes you would get close to the land. Sometimes you would point in the direction of the land. Sometimes you, you, you may even be able to see the, the beginnings or the borderlands, but you have never been able to cross over. And now you are on that precipice and you're encamped on one side of the Jordan and all you have to do is to cross over this river and into the land of promise. The excitement must have been palpable. But I want to uh, suggest to you that, that this was not the birth of the nation of Israel as we know it. See, this was my starting point when I was thinking about the, the question of, can a nation be born in a day? Well, I thought, yes, because the nation of Israel in one day crossed over the desert and they, they became a nation in the fullness of the word. They were already a people. They had developed and grown and progressed and multiplied into a massive uh, group of people. Uh, but they, they, were, they were disenfranchised and they were oppressed. And so they were slaves in Egypt. But now they were entering into their land, their own possession. Now they could be a nation because now they were a group of people who possessed a land. But upon further thought, the Lord impressed upon me that this was not the beginnings of this nation. And so the question becomes, where did it all begin? Where did it start? At which point did Israel become a nation? 
this moment that we see written in the scriptures and this moment that we've described in the book of Joshua 3 onwards, really, as I've said, is the culmination, the manifestation of a promise, of a reality that was already there. Think about it this way. In, in Psalm 23, the psalmist tells of a journey that even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. And, and, and he tells the journey to its end, that, that right at the end, God prepares a table for you and I in the presence of our enemies. Saints, what I want to impress upon your hearts and your souls this morning is that for you and I, walking through the valley of the shadow of death and having the table, the banquet moment, the, the table prepared for us before the presence of our enemies, that was not, or well, that is not the moment of victory. The moment of victory happened during the valley and in the darkness. The decisions that you and I make in the place of testing, the decisions and the perspective that we choose to hold about God in the valley and in the shadow of the valley of death and in that place of darkness, that is where our victory lies. That is where we became conquerors. The banquet table, the, 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 the tables being decked and our, our cups overflowing, that, that is a culmination of our victory. In fact, I would venture to say that that moment is more for our enemies than it is for us. We have had our victory. We have had our well done, good and faithful servant. We, we, we're coming out richer, but, but God brags about our faithfulness before our enemies. And the reward in, in the public place is a reward for a victory that was gained in the, in, the, in the private place and in the place of isolation. I want to also suggest that the birthing of this nation was not the moment when Moses would lead them out of captivity, out of Egypt and into their freedom. That was a beautiful moment. An, a, a, an entire nation that for all their lives had been a, a, a slave people released into their freedom. 600,000 men strong, the Bible tells us, without counting the women and children. So safely, this tumult was in the millions that, that Moses led out into the wandering of the desert. But this was not the birth of this nation. In Genesis chapter 12, we read about a man who received a promise from God. And Genesis chapter 12 says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make you a great and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall 
be blessed. This is a promise that was made to this man, Abram, that we would come to know as Abraham, who decided to take God at his word and leave everything that he knew, everything that he had built, and go on a journey following God wherever God would take him. And God would see that faithfulness and reward that faithfulness with this incredible blessing. Now in verse verse 5 of chapter 12, if we read from verse 5 to Verse 5 to 7, it says, Then Abraham took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people whom they had acquired in Haran, and they departed to go to the land of Canaan. So they came to the land of Canaan. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, as far as the terebinth tree of Moreh. And the Canaanites were then in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to to your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. God responded first and foremost to the obedience and the faithfulness of Abraham by proclaiming a promise to him that he would make him a great nation. I love this portion of scripture, especially verse 7, which details that Abraham, upon receiving the promise, built an altar there to the Lord, and then he moved on. Now, it's seemingly like a, an insignificant detail in the story, but what I love about it is that Abraham built a memorial to the Lord in that place and did not build a tradition. I don't know about you, but um, if I was walking on a particular patch of land and God appears to me and makes me this kind of a promise— I'm not just building an altar there. I'm pitching a tent. I'm fencing that area off. I'm selling tickets. This is where God has spoken. This is where God has been made manifest. If you want to hear from God, if you want to receive the promises of God, this is where you got to come. Not Abraham. Abraham moves on because he had set up a, a stone of remembrance to honor that moment and so that other generations would know that God had spoken and that moment would be marked. But he moved on because, you see, Abraham understood that he had the God of the promise and he did not need to make the promise his God. In Genesis chapter 26, we see that the story has progressed and God has now blessed Abraham with a son. In fact, two sons, but this particular story is focusing on the son of promise, Isaac. And Isaac, as a grown man, uh, finds himself in a place of famine. The land that he's in, there's famine, and and he's thinking about moving to Egypt to find some solace there. And the Lord appears to him in verse, in verse 2. It says, Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands. And I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. 
and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So God comes to Isaac and he, he confirms the promise that he had initially made to his father Abraham that I'm still true and I'm still fulfilling the promise. But verse 5 for me is really key and reveals the secret and the reason for this journey that we're on. It says, because, and God, God is, is still speaking to Isaac and he says, I will do all of these things because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge. My commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Abraham obeyed my voice. He kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my voice, and my laws. So Abraham, we know because we have the benefit of hindsight, died without ever seeing the fulfillment of the promise. But Abraham lived in the reality of the promise without ever seeing its manifestation. How was he able to do this? How was he able to live in the reality of the promise without ever seeing its manifestation? Two things I believe that the Bible points out to us in the story. Firstly, Abraham believed in God's nature. And because he believed in God's nature, he was able to know that what God had said would come to fruition. Whether it would happen in his lifetime or after that, whether he would see it or not, regardless of what the evidence is that was presented before him today, Abraham could know that if God had declared it, if God had promised it, then it would come to pass. Picture this. Picture receiving a, a, a check of significant worth. And you carry this check around with you. And you never cash this check. Your entire life, you never cash this check. And after you're gone, your descendants have this check with them. And they're able to cash this check and have its benefits. But you live your entire life knowing that you are a rich man because you have this check. Though you've never cashed it but you have it and you have the peace of knowing that this, ca- this check will never bounce because the one who signed it is true. The one who signed it has all the resources with which to back it up. This was the peace that Abraham could live with, knowing that he carried the promises and he would see some of it, but he would never see the fulfillment of it in his lifetime. But God, the God whom he served, was faithful enough that it would come to fruition. I believe the second way that that Abraham could live in this promise is by recognizing that the promise was both a promise and a reality that he carried inside of himself. The promise was a, a reality that he carried inside of himself and a promise of what would, what would come. 
God always had in mind to have a nation for himself. To, to, to be a king God over a particular nation and to give that nation his name. It was always a part of, of his plan. This nation would heed his voice, would keep his charge, his commands, his statutes, and his laws. And, and he coded this nation that he wanted. He coded it inside of Abraham so that Abraham bore the seed for the nation that God wanted to see come to fruition. And the seed would bear fruit after its own kind. By the way, this is not a new idea. God has always been about this particular precept. Think about the garden, the garden of Eden. The idea, even in the garden, was to put a man and a woman who were in perfect relationship with one another and in perfect relationship with God, who, who understood the goodness, received the goodness of God, his nature, who allowed him to be the definer of what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is evil, what is moral, and, and, and that that code would be the seed that is taken to the rest of the world. God's idea with, with, with the garden was never that there would just be this one man and this one woman in one garden living in peace forever. Their mandate was always to fill the earth and to multiply, but to fill it with the right seed, the right kind of nation that God had in mind. He wanted Abraham to choose him. Abraham had to choose him. This was part of the seed, the coding of the seed that would birth the right nation. He wanted Abraham to choose him. He wanted Jacob, for that matter, to choose him. He wanted Moses to choose him. God wanted the nation and the people of Israel to choose him. And God is wanting you and I today to choose him. Now, saints, it's good for us to recognize that choosing God does mean rejecting something else by definition. And so for Adam and Eve, choosing God meant that they had to reject the urge to be the definer, to be the one who defines what is right and what is wrong and allow God to be the, the moral standard. For, for Abraham, he had to reject the desire to build his value, his identity, uh, and, and his life around the promise. And that's why God had, 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 had tested him, even with Isaac. Because you see, Abraham had lived the majority of his life not having an heir. And finally, he had the heir, not just any heir, the heir of promise. And God would later come back to him and ask him, are you willing to lay down and sacrifice this heir of promise, this promise of legacy and inheritance for you? And, and, and Abraham had to recognize that his promise was in God, not in Isaac. And so for Abraham, he had to reject this desire to build his identity around Isaac. For Moses, 
God was asking him to reject the urge to, keep, to run and to keep running from his demons. He had to go back and face his, his former life, to go back and face his fears. And, and through that, God would, would bring about a salvation of a people. For the nation and for the people of Israel, God was asking them to reject the urge to be like everybody else. To comply with and, 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 and align with the system of this world. What he wanted from them is that they would want him. They would want God and not what everybody else had. But that they would recognize that the way God ruled them, what God had for them was far superior. And for you and I, in order to make this decision, God is asking us to reject the fear of losing control. That we would recognize that it is actually better that God be in control than that we are in control. That the outcome is actually better because the outcome is based on the skill, the, the oversight, the perspective, the capabilities, abilities of the one who is in control. And if you and I are in control, we have very limited skill, very limited perspective, very limited potential and ability. But God is limitless. And if we allow Him to be in control, then the outcome is limitless in its goodness and in its ability to give glory to God. Saints, this country, this world, is waiting in eager anticipation and expectation for the sons and daughters of God to be made manifest in this time. The seed that you carry is, is a seed coded with faith and obedience, desire for God, reliance on Him, the ability to see Him for who He really is. And as we carry that seed, as we bring it to fruition, a nation is born. Some of that coding has been built through suffering, through trial, tribulation, loss, disappointment, hardship. But all the decisions that you make about God in your valley, in your darkest moment, in your place of isolation, all those decisions are coding something specific and special into the seed that you carry. And the reality of the victory that comes in the place of isolation, in the place of darkness, is seen when that seed brings about a harvest. But that harvest has always been in the seed. Everybody else just gets to see what has always been there. The reality that you have always lived in. That moment of your cup overflowing is not your victory. That is the moment when everybody else gets to see the reality that you have been living in. I'm reminded of a story of Elisha who was surrounded by enemy armies 
who would come against him because he kept prophesying uh, doom against the other nations and because God was, was uh, allowing him to hear the enemy's plans so that he knew what they would do before they did it. And they realized if we're going to take out the nation of Israel, we're going to have to take out the, 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 the prophet of Israel. And they encamped around him. His servant wakes up and realizes that they had been surrounded and besieged and he starts to panic. Elisha was not panicking. He tells him to relax and he prays the prayer that God would open his eyes to recognize that those that are with us are more than those that are against us. And as he prays this prayer, God honors the prayer and opens his eyes. And the servant looks around and all around the hill, he sees chariots of fire and angel armies surrounding Elisha. And he recognizes that God had had them all along. This was the perspective that Elisha lived by. This, this was his reality. And the moment when, when the eyes of the servant were opened up, that was not the moment of victory. That was not the moment of vindication. That was not the ta-da moment, I told you so. No, Elisha lived in that moment. When the servant was panicking, Elisha was living in victory. His victory was made manifest when the eyes of the servant were opened up. But the victory was assured and was there all along. Because when everybody else saw doom and gloom, when everybody else saw uh, uh, destruction, Elisha saw the angel armies and the chariots of fire. So, like Elisha, like Abraham, like the psalmist, live in the reality of who God is. Despite the evidence that is presented before you, despite the news that you wake up to every single day, despite what you see on social media and what you hear from friends, from colleagues, live in this reality. And the reward of your patience, the reward of your perseverance, the reward of your decisions to choose to see God for who He is will be in public. Those, those private decisions, those private victories will be rewarded in the, private place, in the public place. And there will be triumphant victories as we all march into the places of promise because you made a decision to be faithful. You see, you carry a seed. And the person next to you carries a seed. And if you are watching this and you are at, uh, in your home alone, then I want you to look in the mirror. And I want you to recognize that the person looking back at you carries a seed. And for Abraham, the moment he made the decision to honor God, to receive him at his word, to leave everything that he was and everything that he had to follow after God, that was the moment the nation of Israel was born because the seed was coded in that moment. He carried the right stuff 
And God could know that whatever Abraham would produce would be the right goods for him to be able to bring about the fruition, the evidence, the eventuality, which came about in Joshua chapter 3. The multitudes, millions of people crossing over the Jordan in a fantastic way, the splitting of the waters and this people group moving across this water into the land of promise. Because there was a birthing in a day when Abraham chose God. So, back to our question. Can a nation be born in a day? If you are choosing God today, if you are choosing His way over your own, if you are choosing His goodness, if you are choosing His version of, of morality and right and wrong, if you are falling on His grace, falling on his mercies, if you are allowing him to lead your life, not just for a few hours or a few days, but if you're saying, Lord, have your way with me, break my heart for the things that break yours, allow me to carry your values above my own, allow me to see what you see, allow me to carry your agenda as my ambitions. If that is a truth, that you carry with you today, then this very day, a nation is born because a seed is being coded inside of you that will allow God to know that it, when he brings it to fruition, the manifestation, the harvest, the entering into the promised land, the f overflowing of the cup and the decking of the tables so that the enemies and the onlookers and the naysayers can see that will be the evidence of the victory and the reality that you are living in today. Now saints, I know that some of you are watching this broadcast and finding it a little bit difficult to even identify because perhaps it's the decision that you need to make is not even one of, Lord, am I going to take you at your word and believe, and believe the things and the promises that you make over me? Perhaps the decision that you're still needing to make is, am I going to surrender my life to you? Am I going to believe that Jesus is who he says he is? That he died on the cross for me? That three days later he rose again? And that he is seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for me? Am I going to believe that there is a portion for me in heaven, in eternity, for me to have relationship and intimacy with God forever? Is this my portion? Or am I going to walk in rebellion for the rest of my life, not receiving the gift, the free gift of salvation that Jesus died for. I urge you to make that decision today, to choose Jesus, to choose his truth, and to lay down your life before him, to surrender before him, because that in itself is a seed and a birthing of something special. I want to pray for you if you know that you need to make the decision to receive Jesus into your heart this morning and to become what the Bible says, born again. If that is you, won't you just say this very short prayer after me? Lord Jesus, I trust you. I believe you are who you say you are. And today, I surrender my life before you. May I never be the same again, in Jesus' name.
Saints, if you prayed that prayer, won't you get in touch with us using the number that's on the screen right now and let us know that you prayed that prayer so that we can help you, so that we can show you, according to the Bible, how it is that we walk out this journey of faith so that we can plug you into community, believers who, like you, have made this decision at some point or another. And they'll be able to tell you that it was not possible for them to make that decision and to walk out their journey of faith in isolation. They had to do it in community. We want to plug you into that community of people who love one another, love Jesus, and love this city. So won't you get in touch with us? Thank you for taking the time to listen to this broadcast. I hope that this question burdens you and that you go to the Word of God, that you go before Him in prayer and in, in, in meditation to answer this question for yourself. Can a nation be born in a day? Amen. Thank you, Loreco, for preparing such an amazing word for us today. If you have just responded to the altar call led by Loreco, then I'd like to encourage you to reach out to us by contacting the number on the screen. If you have any prayer or counseling requests, please be sure to use the same number. As we go into our week, may we continue to root ourselves in prayer. We invite you to join us at seven every morning and evening to pray. And join us every Thursday at 6 p.m. on our YouTube channel for corporate prayer. I hope that you feel the love, presence and power of God in your week to come.